0: an interview, and and, you know, all things Sarkin are events to me, so I assume that they are to everybody out there also, but, so he gave this wonderful performance, but in an interview with Daily Actor, which was written by Chris McKittrick, it just gives some insight on nailing dialogue that's the Sarkin signature. You know, it's the Bay Area Actors existence. He doesn't allow you to miss a word, or a vowel, or a you do it exactly as he's written it. So he says he didn't even think that Sorkin would have thought of him for a role like this. He said, you know, here's this quote. It's fast talking, but the thing with Aaron is that you have to believe what you're saying. You have to be there. It's fast paced and lots of words and lots of stuff and lots of punctuation which he's paying attention to, but you have to live it. I hope I did a good job. Well, first of all, you did a great job, but I also thought... I've never heard anybody say quite like that, that you can't deliver those lines unless you're actually believing them while you're delivering them. I get that, don't you? Well, I think I think the West Wing cast talked about it a lot, about how punishing it was to try to fit into scripts for, like, 70 pages into a 48-minute episode. And it, Well, not only that, they didn't get the scripts often until the night before they were shooting. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, it's supposed to be a minute per page, but not in the Sorkin world. Yeah, in the Sorkin world, it's like 15 seconds per page. Yeah, but here's the thing. A lot, they have talked about it a lot, and I've heard everything I could possibly get my hands on. But nobody said that if you don't believe it, you can't deliver it. Nobody has made that particular comment. So I thought that was very insightful on his part, and I bet a lot of them would agree. I mean, they talked about the difficulty... And also their love of it because it made their characters ever so much richer. But no one talked about you gotta believe it while you're doing it or it will not work. I feel like that. I don't know. I guess everybody has their own style when it comes to acting. But I feel like that's such a core component when you're really bringing a character to life is really embodying that and understanding where they're coming from. Maybe. But um, anyway, I love what he said. I love the way he said it. So, all right. And then also, did you by chance catch the interview with Reese Witherspoon about Wild? No, I heard about it, do tell me about it. Well, it's funny because she basically said it was a really stressful time, she had to go into therapy, she was taking drugs. She said, look, and here's a her quote, I was so scared to do that, she said, "Meanwhile, well, the biggest acting challenge of her career, not that I think she's had that many, but anyway, I had hypnosis, I was so scared, I was having panic attacks for three weeks before it started. There was nudity, sexuality, drug use, but also being alone on camera with no other actors. I hadn't ever been alone in scenes for days and days. There were probably 25 days of the shoot where I had no other actor opposite me. It was just me and the camera and the backpack. I was like, is this going to be boring or what? (laughs) Interesting, huh? Yeah, I, I can see that that's probably one of her most challenging That point, I think she's certainly branched out since then, which is nice, and I think that's kind of what triggered her becoming more involved as a producer and launching, you know, really launching her own taking control and launching her own production company. Well, Tom Hanks was the other one who's did an entire movie almost alone, you know, on the beach. (laughs) I mean, you said a couple of them. difficult it was, too. I get that. It's like, if there's nobody to act off of, yeah. the other to bounce off there's of. No, right. reacting. Right, which also brings us back to Idris and, the, and Sorkin's work. You know, the brilliance of Sorkin's work is it's you, then me, then you, then him, then her, then me, you know. So you and can, you're always walking when it's happening. Yeah, we well, yeah. you got to pay attention to where you're going. Yeah. And yeah. All, all my daughter and I always do, we do jokes around lines. And do you remember the movie Dave? Did you ever see that? That was, one. Well, Dave, was, uh, he was a, a spinning image of a, of a corrupt president, and so yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. there's really bad Eddie where he called Dave. At any rate, he does this, we're walking, we're walking, we're walking, and it's true with and He's always walking. Yeah. Okay, but now let's get into the Hamming's Tale. Let's start with the fact that, um, thanks to Indy by the way, they got some great reports out. So, Nielsen reported that the show was watched. For 516 million minutes from May 17th to May 23rd. Okay. I know what that means. Okay, well, I hate it now. It means 11 million episodes were watched in one week. I mean, think about that. Come on, Wilder. That's an amazing number. That's That's a lot. lot. I know. It's a lot. So, And The Handmaid's Tale was number one with 516 million minutes. Guess who's number two? Oh, I have no idea. Okay, who killed Sarah on Netflix for 500 million minutes? Never yeah, heard of it. What the hell is that? I think it's one of those dramas of bringing back to life some sort of unsolved case, but I'm going to check it out, because if 500 million minutes were watched at this, I want to see what that's about. So anyway, if you think about it, it's taken off the way the Queen's Gambit took off. It's taken off the way the last episode of Mare took off, and it's done an amazing job, but I have to go back to two things. What I did this weekend is I went and watched the original movie from uh, 1990. Did you ever see that movie? No. Okay, I actually didn't know that they made one. It's me hauling down on the job. Wait, you did not know that they made The Headache's Tale in 1990? No. Oh, I'm totally flabbergasted. Tell me about the movie. What should I know? talk about who was in it. Natasha Richardson, Faye Dunaway, Aidan Quinn, Elizabeth McGovern, Robert Duvall. It was an incredible movie at the time. And it's a pretty good cast. It's a great cast, but what was interesting was I went back and read some of the, I watched the entire movie again, and I thought it was well done. I think it's worth seeing. And if you're really into The Handmaid's Tale you want to see that original movie, I can absolutely do it, but I then went to Roger Ebert's review of it from March 1990. to get this. Here's one of the things he said. Childbearing is the movie's metaphor of choice. Children are seen as the rightful possession of a wealthy, powerful couple like Duvall and Dunaway. And of course, adoption will not do. The male must father the child himself. The methods by which this takes place are perhaps intended as a satire on the ultimate reaches of the touch-me-feel-me movement. The wife Dunaway is present during conception as a sort of coach and spiritual godmother. No, she's not. She's present at conception so she doesn't go jealously crazy with the fact that her husband is is sleeping with someone else. I mean, I don't know what movie he saw but he clearly had zero understanding of feminism or what was going on. I'm not sure exactly what the movie is saying here. (laughs) Is it that women are enslaved by their the bearers of children, or that poor and powerless women are carrying an unfair share of the burden by having all kids, while the rich women enjoy life. Yes, yes. The movie seems equally angry that women have to have children at all, and that it is hard for them to have children now that men have mucked up the planet with their greedy schemes. Okay, I remember seeing it back in 1990. I remember seeing this film. Mm -hmm. Have you read the book? feminism read the book back then, when it first came out, which was like three years before the movie. But for Roger Ebert to have such little understanding of what this movie was about, and for him to actually say that that movie's metaphor was about choice and having children, it wasn't about having children, it was about male power. And, you know, I just, I don't know, I'm shocked by that. Are you? No. I'm not shocked that a man doesn't understand The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, but no, but back then, back then it wasn't as easily understood, but his, that's, that's what I've seen. But, well, but his misperception about what it was about, I think is really shocking. Okay. Listen, I haven't seen the movie, so I need to go back and watch the movie, but I'm not shocked that a man doesn't understand The Handmaid's Tale. I'm not shocked that this movie was apparently written and directed by men, so who knows how well, they represented Margaret Atwood's message. At first, I, when, when I first heard that they were doing Handmaid's Tale as a show, I was, I was like, is there enough there? And then I realized how they're going to take the world building and they're really going to go very deep into what this show was going to be. And it always should have been a show, but you couldn't do what they've done with this show until now. Well, it it certainly wouldn't have the meaning it has until now, because we are walking parallel planes in some ways. But here's the thing, a couple things. The reason I wanted to do this, I was so, I think there were so many messages in this final episode, but we do have to start with the beginning of season four. A lot of the reviewers are writing things like, if they're dragging this out too long, there's nothing more to say. Now, those same reviewers are saying, this episode finale was one of the best It's been done. It had so many fabulous messages. So it just goes to show that while the season can start out a little bit tedious, which I thought the season did, it can certainly end with a big bang. Would you agree? Yeah, I think they knew where they were going this season, but they had a tough time getting there. Part of that was the filming. They wrote a lot about the fact that they, um, COVID, they couldn't, some of them couldn't be in the same place. So scenes that would normally take place with all these people, they sort of had to do these parallel things that were happening but where their lives didn't touch and I can see how that would have been very difficult. Yeah, I was disappointed that they split up a lot of the characters but I... think yeah, they did that because of COVID. There was a wish fulfillment entity to this season where, mm-hmm. and if you're listening to this, I apologize, there's going to be a lot of spoilers. Yeah, you know, yeah If you have not seen the season you, might, you know, unless you have no intention of seeing it, you might want to skip this because we're not going to hold back on this one. Yeah. And they, they had to get June out of Gilead. You had to see what that was like to understand where she needs to go in her journey. To understand where Luke lands, where her friends land, who, who have gotten out, and why she's different. Right? You need to understand all of those things to earn the ending of the season. And I appreciate that. I wish they could have done it in a way that was maybe a little bit more entertaining, a little bit more forthright. I think putting mean, Lydia separate from so much of the rest of the the show. I you know, she loses her power when she's not with our girls and she's so great. But I, I thought I thought they ended the season well. I just I felt it took us a while to get where we wanted to go. Interesting. I absolutely can see that. I think the whole point though of this was it surrounded so many messages, motherhood. Her guilt around being with one child was not enough to sustain her beyond the loss of another. Her anger and her, you know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Okay, but was this justice that she did with him or was this vengeance? What, which one is it? What, what is your answer to that? I don't know. I actually, I might be in the minority here, but they had me in that episode until the woods. Um, Yeah, I... It was interesting to me that all of the women thought that Gilead was going to give Fred justice. Right? Gilead doesn't give justice. (laughs) Gilead doesn't understand what justice is. Oh, but I think it was very clear. Because he had betrayed Gilead, they would have given him terrible justice that would have been extremely painful. Sure, but is that justice? Do we think he actually would have gotten a fair trial and a hearing? It was their form. It's not justice, as we understand it. he did betray his country. And the list of sins that Fred has committed is no, unending. But if they tried him, he did. He would, would be guilty of giving state secrets to another country. There is no way he would have been able to plead not guilty because obviously he'd done it. So he could have had a trial that would have been, quote, fair, because what he was accused of, he actually did do. Yes, but that's taking into consideration the laws of Gilead as being just. And I don't think anyone would argue that. That's like saying that the laws of Germany in 1939 were just. (laughs) Just because he wrote the laws of the nation he's from doesn't mean that those laws are just. doesn't mean that, that what he's doing or what he did, he created that system, right? That's not just to begin with. At any rate, I think if we look at the elements of this, June says two very important things during this entire episode. One of them, she says, weak men, she said, they rule the world. And all I, I had to stop, and I watched her say it again, and then I thought about today's politics, and I don't disagree with her. And the fact that it was weak men who ruled the world, you have to ask yourself, how did they get into that power position, you know? It was really, I thought that was such an amazing moment. I agree, but I also I wonder what the double meaning was there when she's looking at the American who's supposed to be helping her, who sells her out to let Fred out so he can give them information. You know, yes, I, I absolutely, we're talking about the people who are empowered, But she's not I, I mean, that, I mean, you know? I mean we, we watch this very differently, I think. I think that the Canadian who was helping her, I think you're referring to the Canadian guy. Um, he's American, isn't he? No, he's Canadian. He's with the Canadian government. The Canadian government was running this entire show. I thought he was – anyway, sorry. Okay, it doesn't really matter. But anyway, I think what he tried to make clear is I am not the decision maker here. And I did not make this decision. And he says numerous times, I don't think this is fair. I don't know that we can say he let her down. I think the system let her down. But I don't think that his personal – opinion was any different than hers in my, in my opinion which is why I think he helped her so much in the end oh I, I saw that very differently when he says I'm on your side I, I <laughs> looked at the screen and I said no you're not you're, you're on the side of taking Gilead down and whatever power is going to help you do that which is the greater power here is Fred turning on Gilead is what you're going to take and you might feel for her you might feel that she deserves Fred going to jail for the rest of his life, but you're gonna take this deal because it's gonna help you in the long run. And that's the men all over this show. Then she just looked at him and saw yet another man who had let her down and she figured out how to get what she needed. I think in the end a bunch of men didn't let her down. They actually helped her and it's funny because But they didn't help her. They helped themselves. She helped them help themselves. And ended up getting what she wanted. Well, that's nice. what June is brilliant really at. Well, all right, let's talk about Lawrence, you know, who by the way did help her get those children out without Lawrence that she doesn't didn't get them out. Okay. This one, the second really poignant moment is when he turns to her and he says to her, he warns her, vengeance will not be enough for you. In other words, he's warning her, whatever happens to this man, it's not going to take away this terrible hole that you've got inside you. of watching as she, as the aggregates gets bigger and bigger and bigger and actually really explodes when she's part of, of murdering him, you know it's. I thought it was extremely poignant, and I thought Lawrence is always all through this entire show has been extremely smart and thoughtful and also I mean, he knew he messed up, you know, he knew that he had created something that was terrible but at any anyway, rate, that's where he was. He is a fascinating character, yeah. so he I never know what his motivations are which are fascinating. I mean, with Fred, he's, he's a pretty open book. With Serena, she's a pretty open book. It's pretty easy to figure out how and why they're doing the things that they're doing. With Lawrence, you don't, right? For the most part, I feel like he's just out to save his own neck, which is fine. That's fine motivation. But when he says that to June, I think that's what this whole season was about, right? This whole season is about watching June's descent into becoming the personification of Vengeance. She's no—I don't believe that she's any longer human, right? She's got a cause that's bigger than herself. She is going to tear down Gilead from the inside, right? She's going back, and, and I, I can't wait to watch her do it. So I'm I can't wait to watch her do it either. But I—I I think that message that Lawrence delivers that it's not going to be enough. Yeah. She knows, but she's also—it it has to start with this. Yeah, you could be right. You could be right. Also, though. I think Alexis Bledel did an amazing job this season also, and she was one who had to be separated through most of the season from Elizabeth Moss because of, uh, she and her family, and so there was a COVID bubble. She wasn't in the same bubble as her, which is why her, you know, her sessions are sort of separate from her. But anyway, she did an amazing job, I think, of helping us to understand where June's coming from when she says something here you know, quietly. What do you want? What do you want to happen, you know? Yeah, I think she, she represents, I, I think, the, the dichotomy between her and Moira. When we understand that Moira wants to move on, she wants to have a life that doesn't revolve around Gilead anymore. She wants her own existence. And Alexis Bledel's character lets us understand, for some, that's not possible. Right, their existence is now defined by what they went through. Their trauma is so big that they can't. They have to process this in a different way. And for, I think June is the extreme of that, obviously. But I think the ending shows us that these women, they need closure, uh, and sometimes that closure is revenge. And you know, for Mora, it's not. She's able to try to move her life past that without that. But not all of them are. Well, I just think that it was so it was so well laid out and so well directed, and also this uh, Elizabeth Moss directed two or three of these herself. Yeah, she directed a few of these. I was I was really happy to see her name at the end of the credits. It's interesting because when this when this show first started, it was right after right around when Trump won the election in 2016, and I don't know if the election had gone the other way, if this show would have been successful. I this. couldn't agree more, and not only that, what we saw like, when people were protesting against the Kavanaugh hearings, they dressed up as handmaids. Yeah. And, and you know, so they really did take the show and integrate it into in real-life protests and all kinds of things. I couldn't agree with you more. I don't think it, it, it has anywhere near the resonance what's happening in politics, for sure. Yeah, I think we would have had a false sense of security for women in this country, and I think as much as I wish that election had gone the other way, it revealed... Quite a lot of our flaws as a society and this show I think really highlights that and really shows us what that path could bring I, you know I don't know that we'd end up in that kind of a society but there's a desire for this kind of control over women and when you're talking about the abortion conversation when we're talking about child care when we're talking about all of these political issues this show is the is the extreme embodiment of that and I think I think a lot of women identify with that and I think that's part of why it's done so well. Yeah. Um, there was one scene that I didn't get and I read about it afterward and it's the scene when she goes to see Waterford and it turns out she played the scene about 20 different ways they shot it over and over and over again she goes to his cell to talk to him and they do a dance around the room and then they have a conversation that didn't make any sense to me where basically she says to him she lies to him and says you know, I, I missed being a friend as well a friend or however you want to say it I missed being our friend as well, and he says it, and he, she leads him to believe that she wishes that they had the relationship they had before. And I didn't understand how that moved anything forward or what her purpose. Was. Oh, that's interesting. I read that a very different way. Um, I, first of all, I think she, I, I think she went for many different reasons, and I think in that meeting is when she recognized what she needed to do. And how she needed to do it, but I think also I didn't think she was lying. I, I think there's there's a piece of her that awoke as Alfred. She found her purpose, right? And I think that June has to be a different person than Alfred, right? She she says it over and over again, pretend, right? They cut back to the scene at the brothel where she's dancing with him. Yeah, for this season. Um, And she she has this voiceover that's like, pretend, make him think it's real, make him think you love him, make him think that this this is everything he wants. And she's luring him into a false sense of security so that she can achieve that sense of fear and confusion in the woods at the end of the episode. By the way, I love the way you read that. I didn't read it that way, but I like your way much better than the way I saw it. And I think it's brilliant. So I think that's absolutely true. But she said... When well, they were filming it, they did it a bunch of different ways. They weren't sure how it was going to play out. So, um, interesting, huh? You know, it's funny, because I actually thought they missed an opportunity in the woods for her to become Aunt Lydia a little bit. Do you remember the scene? The seasons ago, but there's a man who's accused of rape, um, and all of the handmaids stone him to death. Yes. By the way, that scene is also in the original movie. Oh, okay. I thought they should have done that in the woods you know, take up the Gilead mantle and show him the justice that he's enacted, yeah. right? And, and instead it was just revenge, which, not that what they would have done otherwise would have been anything other than revenge either, but I thought there was a, a cemetery that they, they missed there, but it was, I mean, it's certainly satisfying watching him run through the woods, terrified out of his mind, and, yeah. you know, yeah. with all of these women yeah. coming after him. It was good. Well, and then poor Luke. Luke. Uh, just poor Luke. Yeah, <laughs> and I, actually, I, you know, I, it, sometimes the music is louder than the voice, and I yeah, the mixings things are great. Yeah, I don't think it is. I think they need to work on that, by the way. And I couldn't hear what she was saying to her daughter. I think she was saying, I have to leave you. I'm going back, you know? Yeah. So, like, mommy has to go away for a little while. I, thought, I think that's what yeah. she, sure. yeah, I think that's what it is. But then he's like, oh, my God. And, and I don't it, know if it's just a little while, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it could be permanently, yeah. Could be, could be. Um, anyway, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm overlooked anyway. He's just too. Well, he served his purpose, but I just, that was where you understood the impact of how much she is no longer the woman she was. Right. And, and he's a wonderful guy. I mean, he's raising this child who is not his, that is not his child. Yeah. And he was able to put that aside and make it his daughter. I don't know that many other men would have been able to do that. Or want to. Or want to. Yeah. Uh, He's a good marker for where we came from. Yeah. Exactly. So I highly recommend this series. And I think you could watch, I don't know, maybe I should choose them. You could watch ten episodes of the first three seasons. They actually do a good job of paying off long standing conflicts and interactions between characters that you won't appreciate if you haven't watched the whole thing. But that doesn't mean you can't do it. Huh. Amazing. Yeah, I agree. So I recommend it highly, highly, highly. What about you? Yeah, just, you know, take your time watching it. It is rough, man. It is hard to watch. This is not the touring material. No, and. Elizabeth Moss, I think a couple of seasons ago, a lot of people were telling her it's too scary to watch. And she said, I'm so sick of hearing that because this is real life. I mean, it might not be to this degree, but there are women who live like this. I was just going to say, I I think it's too scary not to watch. Yeah. so, So I agree totally with her. You don't have a right not to watch it because if you are having trouble watching, it means you have no understanding what's going on for so many women in the world. Well,
1: maybe Roger
0: Ebert should have watched this version. <laughs> um, all right, my friend. I will talk to you next week. God, I'm so glad you were willing to do this. I really, really loved this season, and I also loved it because I feel like we're not out of the woods yet. It's, we're not. It's a word of caution. So no, uh, I think uh, the Supreme Court is taking up an abortion case. So there you go. Right back where we started, guys. <laughs> there you go. Okay, we'll see you next week, everybody.